0: welcome to the adapters advantage the podcast that shares insider stories about breakthrough moments that lead to success get ready for an inspiring conversation about adapting to change from alego the all-in-one sales enablement platform built for success in a hybrid world let's dive right in hi i'm mark magnaca and welcome to the next episode of the adapters advantage podcast today i'm excited to have as my guest mr terry Terry is the leader of the marketing sales operation and communications function at Siemens Healthineers North America, and he's a member of the senior leadership team. This cross functional team is charted with cohesively positioning and marketing the company, demonstrating Siemens Healthineers relevant value to key decision making customer segments and supporting a harmonized approach to sales operational excellence. Terry joined Siemens in 2016, and he brings over 25 years of medical device experience across multiple market segments. He's worked in other major industries uh, across the med device industry and has his own long career in sales that he brings to bear in his new role. Uh, Most recently, Terry served as the Vice President of Enterprise Solutions, where he headed up national accounts, enterprise solutions, medical education, and sales training. And I want to start right off, Terry, by welcoming you to the podcast. And uh, when you meet people for the first time and they say, "So you're with Siemens Health and Ears? What do you do? How do you answer that question?"
1: That's a really inter- interesting question because there's a lot of things that I don't do, but there's a lot of breadth in in the role that I do have. But at, from a title perspective, you know, I head up a a centralized shared service organization that supports are 1,500 sellers and marketers. And and those three main categories of functionality are marketing, sales operations, and communications. And we do that for the entire commercial organization in North America. And from a Siemens perspective, Siemens Healthineers, uh, I don't know if the, the, the audience understands who we are exactly. We're probably the largest manufacturer and supplier of diagnostic laboratory and diagnostic imaging equipment on the globe. So,
0: when people are going to um, a hospital, there's a pretty good chance that, and some of the imaging that's happening, that it's Siemens Health and Ears equipment that's being used.
1: For sure. You know, I think in a lot of our categories, we actually have undisputed market leadership with over 50% market share in our, our MR and our CT product lines.
0: Wow. Wow. Well, we're going to be diving in a little bit deeper. But uh, Terry, to start right off in the, the key theme of this podcast is all about how people have adapted. So I'd like to ask you, can you talk about a, a personal pivot point or a moment of learning that has changed the trajectory of your career?
1: Absolutely. And it was, you know, it was a, when I was reading the questions, Mark, and really trying to understand this is a great story for me because um, I'm a seller at heart and I have grown up. Carrying a bag in this environment. In fact, I don't know what pathway got me to where I'm at today, but at the end of the day, you know, my DNA is a professional, you know, revenue generator. And I did that for probably 10 years. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And it got to a point where, you know, you become great at what you do and then you start training other individuals and you really start seeing the impact that you have on the organization beyond just what you're doing in your own territory. And I would say that at that point, I raised my hand this organization that's a part of Boston Scientific today and said, hey, I'd like to do more. I want to lead a sales organization. And they said, that's great, Terry, but we'd like to go see you actually develop some other things. And so I, I raised my hand to go become a, a sales leader. And they said, why don't you come into marketing and be a product manager? And so that was my first opportunity to go into an organization, you know, take a lateral move, gain some new perspectives, understand how corporations and companies are run, and actually how a marketing organization works. And so that was the first real pivotal role for me that I said, I want to do more, and I want to make an impact in a different way.
0: So let's pivot to one of those examples where you had to take a risk, um, overcome some fear, the creation of the value promise framework. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about what that is? And what kind of impact that approach has had at the company?
1: Yeah, so I would just say that the value promise framework was a really interesting endeavor for us. Historically, Siemens Healthineers, and I would just say the foundation behind our organization has really been around engineering and innovation. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, a lot of the things that we were doing when we go to market with products, what I would consider was very internally or product feature benefit focused. in 2017 or slash 18 we decided that we needed to move away from that we wanted to be a more solution oriented organization and we didn't want it to be about our boxes or our instruments we decided that we wanted to focus and and be committed to a customer-centric perspective and then we went on a learning journey where we really started to you know better understand and take an empathetic approach with our customers. And so we did this customer-based research. We sat with customers, we we did interviews and we were asking them, what are your biggest challenges? What are your biggest opportunities? How can we as an organization, a provider of technology and digital solutions better support you with what you need to get done today? Mm -hmm. And when we came out of this, we learned that these biggest challenges stemmed in four key areas. One is healthcare is a really, you know, verticalized, um, you know, manufacturer of products and services. And so it really, at the end of the day, lacks systemness or industrialization. And even when you look at all the m and that's going on in healthcare today, we have big systems, buying up smaller systems. Right. And then how do you actually create you know, those standards so that, you know, the healthcare that is being delivered in Pittsburgh is the same healthcare that is being delivered in Charlotte, North Carolina, if you're part sure. of that same healthcare system, right? Right. So system and industrialization was one piece that they really needed to help focus on. The other piece is the market has been moving away from these huge, large care centers of excellence to more community-based care. And you think about it, 10 or 15 years ago, you could drive them, you know, retail way or restaurant way, and you didn't see any healthcare. Now you see urgent care centers. Now you yeah. see surgery centers. Now you see yeah. laboratory diagnostics in retail environments, right? Um, and so that's happening. And then because healthcare is becoming much more of a consumer-driven marketplace, their customers are actually looking at, you know, they're competing for patients every day, and so patient satisfaction and Acquiring market share and retaining that market share is very important to them. Hmm. And then the fourth challenge they had was a vast, vast majority of all the data that's generated by diagnostic systems or diagnostic imaging systems, all the diagnostics that go on in healthcare, a vast majority is not used accurately or correctly. Okay. So when we boiled all this down with the customers, we found that we had four key pillars. That we could actually, you know, hold ourselves high to, and you know, go to market with to make sure that we're representing our customers with what we do going to market. And the four things were were that system. This approach I talked about at the beginning was the one pillar is expanding precision medicine, so making medicine more precise okay. so that we can deliver the right therapy to the right patient at the right time. Yeah, the next piece was moving from these huge care centers of excellence to community-based care and they needed help in performing, you know, transformation and transforming care delivery of the way it was, the way it needs to be moving forward. So transforming care delivery was number two. And because, you know, patients and consumerism today are driving healthcare, we wanted to make sure that we're helping them improve their patient experience. Okay. And then the fourth piece is, is, you know, doing this, you know, becoming, you know, data operational and making sure that you are acquiring data, you're, you know, integrating data, you're analyzing data and creating insights from that data, that the digitalization of healthcare is critically important moving forward. Not just acquiring the data and the information, but then how do you use AI and machine learning and robotics to actually, you really, you know, power up your healthcare system effectively. So those four key pillars. And then we had to go through the transformation of actually changing the organization from looking around products and features every day and talking to customers about that reverse engineering that into conversations that wrapped around our customers biggest challenges
0: well i'll tell you that um having meaning in the kind of focus that you're talking about goes a long way and and i think it it gives me a perfect pivot point to um what i want to talk to you about next because you did all this work i'll call it on on sort of the the structure of the business and now i'd like to come over to the sales organization because many of our listeners are across financial services, across med device, pharma, life sciences, and, and other uh, related industries. But the common denominator is trying to figure out the transformation around the sales organization. And there are yep. many, many firms like McKinsey, Terry, who are saying that um, between 50 and 60% of existing salespeople are going to need to be reskilled to, quote, learn how to orchestrate in an omni channel environment. So, going back to your marketing experience, they're basically saying the problem they're seeing is that a lot of the skill set that's needed now is marketing skills coupled with sales skills, not just traditional face to face selling, because a lot of that isn't happening in the same way that it was. So, my question is what informed your vision for your digital uh, exchange tech stack? to help the sales team leverage technology and to continue to drive these efficiencies?
1: Well, it's a, it's a great question. And I think there's two parts to it. So the, the first part is when I got here, you know, when you think of Siemens Healthineers and you look at it on the outside of our product portfolio, you, it it reeks of digital. It has lots of AI and machine learning that are involved in all of our portfolios. And when I came here in April of 2016, if you looked at us internally, we were really an analog organization. Okay. Um, we had a 16-year-old Siebel CRM system. Okay. We had no business intelligence. We yeah. had no content management. We had no sales enablement. We had no mobile learning. Um, we didn't have anything that was, we didn't have a tech stack at all. This, 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 is, 20, th- this is 2016. Yeah, this is 2016, right? Wow. And so, you know, the heart and soul of the organization of, the, of our marketing, sales operations, and corporate communications teams, and really more of the sales operations group, but they really kind of strapped that sack on their shoulder. And so in three years, so within the first year, we actually brought in business intelligence, and we brought in Tableau and Click to help us better understand and automate our data flow so we can understand our markets and our customers better, number one. We went on a three-year journey to design and develop a brand new CRM and CPQ systems for our equipment and our sellers to use. And then you know, we pivoted there and we brought in um, a Lego and actually you know, they were there to help us support our, our mobile learning engagement to help us skill up and engage our sellers in the, in the field. Mm -hmm. We used uh, you know, another content management group and sales enablement platform to help us house and, you know, manage our content from a a marketing and advertising perspective. And that's where we kind of started there. And, you know, it was kind of like, I don't know if we would have done it the same way today that we did back then, but we we really did sort of create, um, you know, a tech stack and we started stacking things on top of one another. And I think the goal moving forward, though, is that, you know, and we're not using a Salesforce type of product. We use Oracle, so we had to sort of build everything and plug everything into it, is that, you know, I'm still striving to create better experiences for our sellers. Um, We're trying to create more tech and less stack in our environment for our sellers. We're trying to make it easy for them to adopt you know, new technologies, new functionalities, new data flows so that they can be smarter. So there's a the tech stack part, there's, there's really important part, but more importantly, Mark, I think when we talk about evolving and commercially transforming an organization, the platform or the tech piece is only one part of it. You know, I look at things moving forward that, you know, kind of keep me up at night as um, I think, you know, Tech companies have done a really good job of adapting themselves to being where the customers are, and you know finding ways to sell virtually and remotely, and you know using marketing and sales development reps to sort of nurture and bring those things. The medical technology and device space, we're really kind of probably ten or fifteen years behind doing all these things. And when I look at things that are changing in the marketplace, number one, you know. Buyers are spending less time with sellers every single day. Yeah. Right. So before the pandemic, it was like 60%. Post-pandemic, 80%. So 80% of a buyer's process is done without a seller today. 20 years ago, that buyer, when I was selling to them, they I was like 90 per 5% of that process. Yes. Now it's 20. Yeah. The other piece is COVID made a huge transition in terms of live and in-person to remote and virtual. And that changed the rules for everything. And I think there are pieces of that that are never gonna snap back to normal. And I think there are a lot of businesses thinking that our customers still wanna see us live every time they meet with us. I don't think so. And then the third, which is really interesting is the evolving workplace demographics where the millennial and the Gen Z in five years, is going to represent up to 75% of the workforce. And what's interesting about that is they're not, they're a digital first buyer. Right. So they're not asking, reaching out to people to help them make buying decisions. And I can just speak to you where we're at today as I'm beginning this new transformational journey that really revolves around processes and platforms and people all kind of coming together and converging so that, at the end of the day, our sellers can be where our buyers want them to be when they want them there. And I think that's the customer-centric we're really trying to take the approach to.
0: Terry, I, I love this part that you're talking about. I mean, it's just interesting how um, we're, it, it's almost like we're tapped into the same ether here because you're coming at it based on your experience and we're coming at it from, from a, another angle, but we're arriving in very much the same place. And, you know, the interesting thing that I heard in the McKinsey conversation I was just referencing with you was that uh, the consultant said, you know, what people forget is that the procurement people and the marketing people and all of the other parts of the organization who are not sellers, they have Amazon Prime too. They They have had an experience of what it can be like. And so... You know, what's remarkable to me is I'm thinking about you arriving there in 2016. Honestly, f- uh, ju- forget a Lego, just the fact that you could get anything, uh, you know, it, it, to have the culture change that much to have a, a, an important tech stack evolve and be used in five years. I mean, I don't have to tell you, like in, in the old days, that would have been fast. And, and yeah, obviously fine. in post-pandemic time, maybe not so much, but- my, my question is just with regards to the culture shift, how much resistance was there as the new guy when you said, I think we're going to need a tech stack and we can't use a 15 year old CRM?
1: Well, I think there's there was a lot of people, it's probably a 50-50 kind of thing where there's half the, half the audience said, we need this, right? Because they came from other places that had Salesforce or other strong CRM systems and half were like, we don't need it right? And so again, it's not just about the tech. It's really about the process. And what are you doing to make the seller be more effective or more efficient? Um, You know, one of the things that we really were trying to kind of, the mantras that we're selling the value proposition to a seller was this thing can offer you probably two things. If you're money motivated then you can spend more time selling, and it should generate more revenue for you to generate more commissions. Yeah, and not everybody's money motivated anymore. So we have to kind of figure out, like, if you're not money motivated, what does a CRM system offer you? Well, it might turn your 65-hour week into a 55-hour week that now you can give 10 hours back to your family, yeah. or to you know, um, you know, a group that you want to provide your time to, or be a coach, or do something different that you know, brings value to your life. And so it was all about bringing value to a seller. And that was one part of it. The other piece was, you know, we not only brought in the the CRM system, we also brought in Miller Hyman. We actually delivered that Miller Hyman, we did blue sheets and gold sheets. And we, we actually did a tremendous amount of transformation through that with, you know, our 1000 sellers and our 500 marketers that were all lined up to actually do this together. So, you know, everybody you know there's leadership at the top is always important you know creating systems that have ease of use and great user design is important creating competency channels and making sure that everybody understands what to do when to do it you know those are the things that typically get in the way of transformation and then the most important part at the end which lego had a lot of really important factors in all of this is like you're a reinforcement tool beyond just having the leaders engaging and so having that mobile technology that supported our sellers, whether it was a process question or a platform question, the Lego was there to support our team. Well, not I'm not thinking of commercial, but that's what that was the reality of it.
0: I'm really, I am really happy to hear it, Terry, but there's, there's one really cool thing I want to tease out that you just mentioned uh, a moment ago. And that was this idea that while you have a tech stack for benefit of your sellers, what I think I heard was, what you're really trying to do is improve the experience for the buyers. So yep. yes, you want to help the, the sellers, but did I, did I capture that correctly? That that's, the you real did thing.
1: and it, it's really important. And this goes to, you know, um, if you look at what the methods that we're looking at are really s- with strategic selling with perspective, which with perspective is the customer perspective. Got you're it. putting the customer at the center of everything you do. And you know, I do think we have another chapter of transformation company that's going to be wrapped around a culture of empathy. And instead of using reptilian sort of sales models, like, you know, spin selling or challenger, where you're putting tension on the customer, you're kind of poking them. You know, what we're looking to do is to provide that empathetic seller that actually understands the customer that can design solutions because, the customer feels and trust that person that they're sitting down and they actually understand what they're wanting to achieve with their investment with your organization.
0: It's it's a, it's a really perfect transition point to the next big thing I want to cover with you because it's a topic that's so critical. And yet I know so many people have struggled to try to figure out the right way to approach it. And of course, what I'm talking about for you is this idea behind one community and, and your efforts to help foster a diverse and inclusive culture, um, I, I'm curious if you would just share with our listeners what this is, and then how you are measuring the impact of that initiative.
1: Yeah, absolutely, it's a great question. It's a it's a passion of mine in terms of I think you know diversity is always the what, and to me, inclusion is the how, right? And I think we all we all know and understand that having a diverse organization. Makes us all better, and when I came to Siemens Healthineers, and you know, I, I became the the chairperson of our diversity and inclusion group. It was really an interesting opportunity, and I, I've I've worked for organizations that have great diversity inclusion initiatives with Abbott and Boston Scientific previously. Mm-hmm. And when I got here, the D and I group had nine employee resource groups. We call them ERGs, right? And these nine ERGs existed inside the organization, and they really kind of very specifically cater to those specific areas of interest that the ERG brings forward, right? And we were trying to become like, we wanted diversity and inclusion to become a bigger part of our culture. And we wanted it to sort of seep into the culture across everyone, and what we found was when we started talking to people and getting, gaining the perspective of the organization around trying to get people to rally and join up and sign up for our DNI organization was that some of them didn't always feel like they could find an ERG that really represented them, mm-hmm. right? And so they felt like if they weren't going to join an ERG, they couldn't be a, a part of the diversity and inclusion group. Interesting. But, yeah, you know, it's kind of, you know, kind of a really interesting- so like If I'm not in that subgroup, then I'm
0: not going to join that one, which, which, is, uh, which is almost promoting a, a completely different dynamic than the intention of inclusion, right?
1: Exactly, right. So we had to kind of sit back and, you know, take, you know, some inventory of ourselves and understand how we could go back and approach, you know, our, you know, 15,000 employees that exist in North America. And, you know, one of the key things that we were trying to do was that, like- we wanted you to feel a part of one community. And so we just sort of started bouncing around with our marketing or and our advertising groups. And we, we came up with this concept of one community that actually is delivering the how, the the inclusion part of diversity. And where you didn't have to be a part of a group that, you know, was you know dedicated towards, you know, people of you know color or from an age Asian, you know, historically um, past or, you know, somebody from a Hispanic group or something along those lines. We wanted people to feel like they could actually join an organization, a diversity inclusion organization that represented an entire community. And our, you know, our team really kind of wrapped around that. And I will tell you that our ERGs became more inclusive. Um, Our people became much more oriented around you know, becoming a part of this one community, and we have great leaders inside of this, and so we have, you know, since I've gone and take, you know, moved on past the chairmanship of the DNI group a couple of years ago, but we've got great new leadership, we are, you know, changing the look and the feel of our organization from top to bottom, whether it's gender-based, whether it's color-based, whether it's, you know, um, preference-based, what all of those things are, you can see a truly different organization today than you did, five years ago. And we still have a long way to go, by the way. sure, We still have more improvements to make, but the bottom line is the organization is committed to this diverse, you know, inclusive environment where everybody feels like they can be a part of something and everybody feels like they can be heard. Well, I'm gonna do
0: a little lightning round here with you, Terry, just for a moment here. So uh, a, a real simple question. Um, what do you believe is the most important thing that sales leaders need to stop doing to help them adapt to this uh, hybrid virtual
1: world? I think they need to stop hoping that the world's going to snap back.
0: Perfect. That's uh, well said. Now, what do you believe is the most important thing that sales leaders need to start doing to help them adapt?
1: I think they need to equip their sellers to handle any environment. It's kind of funny where, you know, I just had this really interesting conversation with my head of sales education. And we talked about, you know, creating virtual selling skills, right? Versus virtual sell or versus selling skills, and we've actually decided that, you know, it's just selling skills, and it needs to encompass virtual. It needs to encompass live. It needs to encompass, you know, um, mobile, whatever it might be. But you know, it's really a challenging time in terms of picking up these skills. But you got to do it all, and so we need to equip our sellers to handle any environment at any time.
0: So based on your experience and the conversation we've had, what do you see as the most important skill, in particular for young people, that you think they should learn or improve today?
1: Yeah, that's a great question and something I've already talked about earlier. But I, I would say that you know, empathy is the one skill or capability yeah. that I think people need to bring to the table. And I, I'm speaking from somebody who's not naturally empathetic okay um you know i've conditioned myself and you know taught myself through you know being diligent and those types of things but you know most sellers are type a most sellers are black and white win or lose you know success or fail or am i over 100 percent or not close the deal not close the deal and so there's a lot of what with most sellers historically right um and we've been taught to actually put tension on the customer, bring implication into every selling situation. And we've really been taught to sort of, you know, do these things and put tension in hard things. And, you know, I don't think most sellers are wired with empathy. So my biggest suggestion would be is not only learn what empathy is, but then you actually need to understand how to actually, you know, have empathy be a part of your culture. You've, and you have to learn it you really have to like, you know, start feeling what empathy is like and understanding the success that it brings to you. And so I think empathy is that one skill characteristic that sellers need to take forward, move, you know, moving forward, because the buyers want somebody that actually understands them, will help them and reduce the complexity of the buying cycle on their side. Well, Terry, listen, this has been a
0: great conversation. Um, I definitely, I'm going to want to continue it. Um, I want to leave, our audience with, if they want to learn more about Siemens Healthineers, or they want to be able to reach out to you directly, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: So um, from, from me perspective, I'm on LinkedIn. And so I'm probably my biggest engagement for people in the, in the marketplace and networking. um, So they can just find, you know, Terry Cuchelucci, C-O-U-T-S-O-L-I-O-U-T-S-O-S LinkedIn. There's not many, there's not very many in the U.S., by the way, and then, um, as soon as you type in C O
0: U T, by the way,
1: it up. pops up. Right. <laughs> um, and then, the two other things around Siemens Health and Ears, there's obviously our website, right? You know, SiemensHealthandEars.com. Um, but there's the other piece that might be a little more exciting for people to see is if you Google Shape 22, Siemens Health and Ears, it's a live stream. And we do this once a year, and it's sort of our coming out party for our new technology and our new presence. And this year was really wrapped around. Three different clinical conditions on how our technology is supporting healthcare providers and actually, you know, showing the implications from a patient perspective. And so, Shape Twenty Two Stream, SiemensHealthMeters.com, the and then Terry Cuchialucis on LinkedIn.
0: Terry, it's been a real pleasure. I look forward to continuing the conversation and uh, thanks for being part of the show.
1: Mark, thank you so much. You've been listening to The
0: Adapter's Advantage, a podcast from ALEGO. Stay connected by subscribing to the show at alego.com forward slash podcast, leaving us a rating and comment and sharing episodes you love. That helps us bring you more conversations about breakthrough moments that lead to success. Thanks for listening. Until next time, remember that one new idea can change your life.